This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. 2NURFM 103.7, we're talking travel. And I'm Jane Klein. Sally Lucas is with us again today, and we've got some great places and thoughts and ideas that we're going to be looking at today, Sally Lucas. I hope so. And, I mean, everyone, I think, has got their top favourite place that they've been to. You know, even if they've only been to one or if they've been to ten, there's bound to be one that stands out in their mind as their favourite place. So what the Travel and Leisure magazine has done recently is went, gone to people within the travel industry um, and mostly to people who travel extensively both at home and abroad and put these questions to them to come up with the top 50 destinations of all time for different reasons. Um, and they broke it down into countries, cities, regions, journeys and icons. And ten sort of, of each? Yes, ten right. of each. So Sounds the good. top ten countries, believe it or not, we came out on top. Did we really? Yeah, wow. in their opinion. So isn't that wonderful? Yes. And then it went to Europe, Italy, France, then India, Morocco, Thailand, New Zealand, Japan, US and Turkey reigned in ninth, and then Greece. So that was listed as their top ten countries. But they said Australia won by a country mile because it had so many categories, like beaches, outback, you know, diversity. And I think we don't have, I suppose, the historic side, but as far as geographical beauty, we've probably got it all. Mm, yes, I would, like and that. I would agree with that. Even though Europe still has a very strong appeal for Australians as well, of course. And then it went into the top ten cities. Well, right. New York got it. New York on top, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and probably most people would think Paris, but it got second. Uh-huh. So there you go. Then Sydney, London, Tokyo, Florence, Bangkok, which surprised me. Barcelona, Prague, and Dublin. When you live in a country or near a top destination yeah. of a city, it may surprise you to realise that there are actually a lot of tourists there. Well, that's true, isn't it? I mean, and again, even here, unless you go to Sydney regularly from Newcastle or, and hang around the key area or somewhere where there's a lot of tourists hopping on the ferries, and you can tell because they've all got cameras, which mm-hmm. I've just done recently. I've had, you know, five days in Sydney. And it was just amazing because all those vessels were in, you know, coming and going. We've had this mass of vessels, you know, cruise vessels coming and going. And there were tourists everywhere. But once you moved away from that then, of course, you don't realise if you're just in suburbia. Mm, they spread out a bit more. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting, though, that the uh, apparently the Big Apple was, was quite a um, clear winner ahead of those other Do cities. we have a reason for that? Um, I, I don't know, but, I mean, I guess it's the buzz of New York, I think. That's when everyone says that. It's just got a, a vibrance about it somehow that other cities don't have. Um, and it's just, you know, I have a friend whose daughter's there studying dance, and she just lo- she'd move to New York tomorrow. She's just fallen in love with it so much. You know, but she visits frequently instead. But anyway, <laughs> but um, but to me, Paris has it all as well. I mean, the people, the galleries, the restaurant, the shopping, um, good the metro buildings. system. You've got the river, the the wonderful buildings, the left bank. You know, it, but each which is interesting to think what hear what listeners mm. think of their top destinations. Then it went into the regions. Well, in regions we had the French wine districts, uh, Tuscany, Tasmanian wilderness, the Kimberley, the Antarctic, Kakadu. Canadian Rockies, Greek Islands, South Australian wine districts and Byron Bay. So Australia really won out in regions. Certainly featured. By a long shot, didn't it? So that was quite interesting. And Now, just to get this clear, this yeah. is an international board of people they consulted. It's not just Australians? Um, they didn't actually say that. They just said they went to people who, within the travel industry, and they didn't say whether that was worldwide or Australia-wide. I mean, Travel and Leisure is an Australian magazine, so I would assume they've just gone to Australians. Oh, which, so that might help explain it. It could, but then you find a lot of travel agents, including me, do most of their travel internationally. Yes, true. 
True. rather than their own backyard. So it's still quite interesting, I think, even if it is all Australians, that, yes. it, that Australia has still come out on top. Indeed. Because um, we all think that we all want to, can't wait to get out to visit, whereas obviously a lot of people do love visiting and travelling within their own country, which is nice to know. Um, top ten journeys then was sailing Antarctica. Well, I'd have to agree with that one. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think anything I've ever done to date will ever beat that, and I don't think anything ever will. An African safari? Driving the Gate Ocean Road, which I'm doing in a week and a half. Uh-huh. Um, the Amalfi Coast from Positano to Ravello. The Trans-Siberian Railway. Signing the Med. Uh, a trek to Everest Base Camp. Route 66 in America. Highway 1 from San Fran to LA. And the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. And I'd have to agree with a lot of those. They are fantastic. And then the last one they did was, was Icons. Uluru was the top. Angkor Wat in Cambodia. The Taj Mahal. Petra in Jordan, then Machu Picchu, the Pyramids of Giza in Egypt, the Empire State Building, Barubador in Indonesia. I don't know if you've ever been to the temple at Barubador. It is absolutely the most amazing structure, and a lot of people aren't aware of it. It's just out of Jogjakarta, and it is an amazing temple. I went there many years ago. Then the Vatican, and then the Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao in Spain. So it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's a real mix of things there, and I just thought it was just... Yeah, nice to throw that out there and let people just reflect maybe on some of the journeys and things they've done and come up with their own their own top ten, ten. of those categories. Yeah, and, and just see what they think. And I just thought, well, that was just a nice way to start the show today and just reflect on maybe some of the journeys we've all done and places we've visited and remember them with fondness. And, you know, it just it's just nice, isn't it, to reflect back sometimes on a special place. It certainly is. And, of course, we look forward to doing that every oh, yes. week pretty well, don't we? Well, we certainly do. We're talking travel on 2NURFM 103.7 for our sponsor, Travel World on King. Sally Lucas is here again. And Sally, we've been to some wonderful places, done a quick whip round the world, perhaps. We have done a quick whip, haven't we, Jane? I just thought before we move on, I just read at the end of my notes here that if people out there are interested, Travel and Leisure magazine would love to hear from them. If they want to go and list those top 10 of the areas that we just mentioned, in the, their favourites, go to travelandleisure.com.au. There'll be a questionnaire on there. Send it off the Travel Travel and Leisure magazine and they will no doubt in due course probably list that in one of their future issues. So you can contribute yourself. Put there your own you go. In. Absolutely. Now put what about these thoughts. secrets, Sally? Well, these are secrets, I guess, that a lot of people that travel regularly probably know about, but people who don't maybe don't know about. Firstly, it's the seats on board a plane. Okay. And I mean, if you're on there for a long time, you know, we all know what it's like. It's a drag, really. It I mean, it's just be. a mean of getting, means of getting from A to B these days. It's, it's not luxury travel unless you're flying business or first class economy travel is just a means of getting you to where you need to go. And the distance between rows of seats is known as a, the pitch of the seat. And it's calculated in inches still most times in the airline industry. And it varies from plane to plane and even between rows. Where you've got like an emergency exit window, you might have a little bit extra space, not the real emergency exit one that's often near the toilets in the mid part of the plane. But then often you find the seats don't recline because they can't if someone has to get out in a hurry. So if you've been unfortunate enough to grab that row, which I was once without knowing and couldn't recline my seat, for the whole flight. That is pretty uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. So these are just things to keep in mind. In general domestic carriers, the pitch between seats is between 30 and 33 inches, while the um, exit rows range from about 37 to 39 inches. Now, how much of a difference does a few inches make? Well, with 31 inches, a person that's 183 centimetres tall, their knee would touch the seat in front. 
with the 34-inch, you could put um, a hardcover book in the seat pocket still without your knee touching. And with 36 inches, he could get up from a window seat and walk to the aisle without disturbing the person next to him. So these are all very important. And you can go on, there's a website called seatguru.com. And you can go on there and get information on seat pictures and configurations for most carriers. Um, Not all might provide information to Seat Guru, but the majority do. Or you can also go on to the airline websites and check and they'll always have a section they're telling you about their seating and the pitch between seats. So mm, That's worth knowing. It, it is worth knowing because it can make a heck of a lot of difference on a long flight. Mm. And the other one, which I know I think Barry might have touched on recently, is how flat is a flatbed? Yes. Well, that's quite interesting because someone said to me, you'll never have a completely flat bed because a plane doesn't fly flat. It flies at a slight angle. So if you had a flat bed, then it would be angled anyway. So the reason that they're not completely flat is for that reason, so I'm being told. And, in fact, that may mean uh, that you do end up being fairly, well, fairly flat. Horizontal, yes. yes. That's, so. so that's how flat. <laughs> yes. And they have them in business and first-class cabins on most airlines these days. Most have moved on from just the large business-class seat with the footstool to, to the live flat. But not all. Again, not all. So, again, you can check your seat guru or check your airline websites. If you really want a live flat, you must pick the right airline okay um so interesting from that as well the flat seat data actually comes from skytrax and we've talked about skytrax before where they vote the best airlines of the year so that's another website you can get onto as well and their top flat seat picks were british airways south african airways and virgin atlantic and i had heard that before and i'd actually read somewhere i think that south african is the best um, according to a lot of uh, reviews that you know, people have filled in. Um, but to give you an idea, like uh, um, Air France Qantas, they have 175 degrees is, is the angle of the bed, um, not 180, you know. So um, 171 American Lufthansa, Continental Japan Airlines, 170 and so on. But the 180 degrees, you still have got Air Canada, British, uh, Cathay, Delta, the American airline, Emirates, um, Qatar Airways, Singapore Airlines, South African Airways, United and Virgin. But again, these are all things that you can check if you want to make sure on the style of seating or bedding. So it's always important to do that as well. And the other thing that was interesting, you know how we all worry about the um, deep vein thrombosis now, of course, with long flights in particular. And um, the health magazine Lancet has done a review of in-flight seats and they've virtually concluded um, that Business class seating does not reduce the risk of DBT. People think, oh, well, I'm going to be elevated. It's not so much that. It's the movement of the blood around the body. So it's still the getting up and moving, not just the lying flat. So the fact that you've gone business class doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to get DBT. So you do need to balance this between you do. the request that you yes. stay I mean, your body your needs sleep, on. and if you're on a long mm. flight, it's not going to worry you if you sleep for a bit. But you've got to remember the air is different. It's not the air you're breathing on terra firma. So it's all different. And also, um, it, they said it didn't make any difference between um, economy and business whatsoever, which is really quite interesting. But they said anyone who's in a non-aisle seat, particularly on a flight for more than eight hours, is going to be prone to DVT. So it's really important that you think about that and wear the stockings. Um, you can get even socks now for men if you don't want a whole stocking that help with that as well. So, yeah, and, I mean, the compression stockings apparently um, can provide well, has been proven to reduce the risk, put it that way. But the other things that can develop the risk are things like um, oral contraceptives. Apparently, you're 14 times more at risk 
with getting DBT than not being on oral contraceptives. Mm-hmm. So these are just little things again, and you can always check these with your travel agent. Or there's lots of good websites that you can check. Even the um, you know our DFAT or our governor our travel Smart website, traveller. Smart mm-hmm. Traveller, has got all sorts of information like that on there as well. So they're just little hints and tips to help people, I suppose, make their journey more pleasant. Great tips. Thanks, Sally Lucas. And we'll be back talking travel next week, next Friday after the 1 o'clock news. Thank you, Sally Thank Lucas. Thank you, Jane. On to NURFM 103.7.